You're listening to the City Church Downtown Podcast. Now here's Humby Savetta. So uh, before we get started, let's go ahead and imagine heaven. I want you guys to think about what you would see in heaven, what it, would, what it looks like, what it feels like, what it smells like, all the different things that come along with being placed in heaven. So just kind of take a second to kind of think about that and, and, and take it all in. So for me, growing up with uh, the idea of heaven, it really came from like what culture said heaven was. You know, so it's like the fluffy clouds, the, you know, the harps, of course, the harps, there's always harps, uh, the pearly gates, you can't have heaven without pearly gates, right? That's, that's like part of it, contractually obligated. Uh, people wearing white robes, you know, the uh, f- flowing white robes. And uh, of course, something that kind of always weirded me out, uh, those like cherub baby things that were like, I mean, I know they're supposed to be sweet and everything, but they always kind of weirded me out. And, and then like, they're always in diapers. And I feel like if you've been in heaven for eternity, you would have figured that part out already. So yeah. Um, so, you know, that's what heaven always was for me growing up. And you think about it and that's what culture says it is a lot. And for the most part, I never had any issues with it because that's just what it was, right? Um, Until it started getting real and I started losing people in my life. And um, that heaven all of a sudden wasn't enough. Um, You know, I think about uh, uh, my grandfather. I talked about him not too long ago and he was like a hard marine man. He always wanted to be doing something. He always wanted to be uh, up and, and just like that's what he did. So to me, like, Imagining him sitting on a cloud in a flowing white robe playing the harp while these creepy baby angels were running around. Um, like, I didn't think that he would be eternally fulfilled with something like that. And uh, with that, you know, it's, it was interesting because I thought he would have been much better off, like, eternally fulfilled hanging out here for the rest of time, you know? And, and it, it's kind of weird because when it came to me in heaven, I was like, yeah, I'm not super excited about it. I, I mean, don't get me wrong, it beats the alternative, but, but I wasn't like super pumped up about heaven. And through that, uh, I said, you know what, well, I just want to stay here as long as possible. And through that, uh, a fear became even more deeply rooted within me. And I think I'm like most people when, you know, I would say that dying isn't something that like you're looking forward to, or uh, I definitely have a fear of it, you know, the unknown, and you really don't know what it's like until you're there. And, um, you know, as I was younger, it was something that like was around in me. And as I've gotten older, and as I've seen people in my life pass away, that fear has grown. And especially like, you know, adding a wife and a child, like I've got so much more to lose now. So that fear of death is like even more deeply rooted than it ever has been. And it all came to a head a few weeks back. I was actually sitting in bed, uh, typing away, you know, working on this, on this talk here that I'm giving to you guys right now. And as I was going through it, this uh, thought kind of like popped into my head about me having to give up my life, like literally give my life up uh, for God, you know, give my life up for this cause. 
And so, uh, you know, for the rest of the night, uh, that's what I thought about. I went through like every single scenario, every single way that that could go down. And that's not like a very healthy way to spend the night. And I just laid there in bed just playing every single scenario. And I just like trembled and, uh, you know, was just scared and, and just was a complete and utter mess. I couldn't sleep at all that night. And like, so then during the whole thing, I'm getting even more upset with myself because I'm like, I'm writing a talk about being in heaven. Like fear of dying should not be one of the things that, that you're dealing with right now that you're coming to grips with. I mean, and, and I'm getting upset. I'm like, well, why do I feel like this? Do I not trust that God has heaven waiting for me? Do I not trust that it's going to be awesome? Or do I not trust that, like, it even exists at all? And I'm, I'm like, gripping and, and just trying to figure out what's going on. So what about you guys? With a show of hands, who in here is, has a fear of death? Raise your hand. Yeah, I would say that most of us are afraid of that. And that's exactly why the next few weeks of church are going to be so important for us. Through some resources that we have found, one of them being Imagine Heaven by John Burke. Guys, this is a fantastic book. It's called Imagine Heaven. It's so good, just awesome. Check it out. And that's where some of our stuff we're getting and pulling information from today. And in this book, he gives us a great picture of what heaven is really like. And I'll tell you what, it's not all clouds and harps and creepy babies. It's so much more than just that. But before we can get into what heaven looks like, how can we even trust that it's really there? Well, that's what we're going to talk about today. And believe it or not, there's real evidence in the world about the existence of heaven. Now, before you guys start thinking, like, I'm going to tell you a story about my cousin that one time saw a YouTube video about this truck that fell on a dude, and they got, like, a surveillance video of, like, these angels picking the truck up off of him, or, um, like, that's not, that's not my proof to you guys that heaven exists. And um, I'm definitely not going to tell you that Jesus' face was found in another tortilla. That's, <laughs> that's not my proof either. Um, but by the way, do you think like the deliciousness, the, 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 the deliciousness level is like at a, like way up there if you eat that tortilla, like the best quesadilla ever, right? <laughs> Somebody would call it heavenly. See what I did there? <laughs> I'm sorry. I have terrible jokes. Um, so for me, the way I work is I'm a skeptic, like just always. It's just how, how I work. One great story is not enough for me to like buy in to what you're selling me. I need evidence. I need like verification. I need something else to prove to me that what you're saying is real. And to me, it could be like anything that made this person feel like, oh yeah, I've got the reason why heaven exists and here's why. Because, look, I'll tell it to you like this. Uh, there's a place I like to go to to eat a hamburger called the 50-50. And the reason they call it the 50-50 is because it's half ground chuck, you know, like your normal uh, meat that you find in a hamburger patty. And the other half 
It's ground bacon. So it's half, it's just mixed together in this patty. They put cheddar cheese on the top of it. And I swear, the first time I took a bite out of it, I saw heaven. (laughs) So as you guys can see, a single story isn't enough. And I need empirical evidence. And I want to make sure that that evidence has been taken through the paces to make sure that it's legit. So the way I want to talk about heaven today, and I want to get at it, is through science. That's right. Science today will help back up the idea of heaven. So back in 1979, Dr. Raymond Moody wrote a book titled Life After Life which is a collection of stories of people that had near-death experiences. So he collected these incredible stories that these people had of them like floating over their bodies after their heart stopped, and then going and taking these journeys into incredible places that Dr. Moody couldn't explain. So then Dr. Moody toured the country doing speaking engagements and uh, would normally do it in front of a bunch of doctors. So at the end of his speaking engagements, he would always tell the doctors, if you have somebody that dies and you resuscitate them, ask them what happened when they died. And it was shortly after this that he created all kinds of skeptical doctors that wanted to do nothing more than disprove this theory of near-death experiences. So the first guy up was cardiologist Dr. Michael Sabum. And after starting his research, he quickly found hundreds of stories of near-death experiences, most of them coming out of his own practice, because he was a cardiologist, so you deal with a lot of heart stopping. And what fully convinced him that near-death experiences were totally legit was how precisely his patients that had been brought back were able to tell him the resuscitation process. What he would explain is he could get a tape, record how they explained the, the resuscitation process, and then play it back for a bunch of med students, and that's how he could teach them how to resuscitate someone. It was uncannily accurate. So he published his findings in the Journal of American Medicine, a prestigious peer-reviewed medical journal. You don't just get to put whatever you want in there. They make sure that the scientific method followed and all the ways that you do it are legit. It's real science that he did. And he said this was a real thing. So to combat this study, a second experiment was launched. Because the thought was, well, they're, they're patients of a cardiologist. So obviously they know what the resuscitation process is like, right? I mean, they've gotten pulled back and whatever, so they they have to know something about it. So what they did was they found all these people that had been resuscitated and asked them, hey, what's this process like? And what they found was that these patients that didn't have the near-death experiences, they were wildly inaccurate on what the resuscitation process really was. Not anywhere close to what the people that had a near-death experience were able to recant. So there are lots of theories on this, saying why it's not legit, and why your brain might conjure these images and these experiences. Uh, People will say that it's deprived oxygen. 
that there's a, a chemical release that bathes your brain in something special and, and that's what causes these things or random electrical activity in the brain or hallucinations brought on by medicine while you're uh, being resuscitated and everything's kind of going crazy. Well, in his book, Consciousness Beyond Life, Dr. Pim Van Lommel had this to say about the skeptics of near-death experiences. He said, the theories on near-death experiences set out above fail to explain the experience of an enhanced consciousness with lucid thoughts, emotions, memories from earliest childhood, visions of future, and the possibility of perception from a position outside and above the body. Current scientific knowledge also fails to explain how all these near-death experience elements can be experienced at a moment when in many people, brain function has been seriously impaired. So radiation oncologist Dr. Jeffrey Long also started off as a skeptic of these near-death experiences. But he has also since changed his tune. After studying and testing thousands of these cases of near-death experiences across cultures, across the world in different parts of the uh, of continents, uh, across religions, it wasn't just Christians, it was all different religions, he had compiled thousands and thousands of interviews. And this is what he had to say in his book, Evidence of the Afterlife, The Science of Near-Death Experiences. He says, by studying thousands of detailed accounts of near-death experiencers, I found the evidence that led to this astounding conclusion. Near-death experiences provide such powerful scientific evidence that it is reasonable to accept the existence of an afterlife. So this is a medical doctor, a scientist, trying to find something out, saying that there's an afterlife, that there's evidence reasonable to accept. I know for some of you guys, it doesn't seem like he's really like that excited about it, but as far as science is concerned, reasonable to accept is almost like a gold stamp of approval, like that's legit. So there's so much more than just his, these studies that I've brought up. As of 2011, there were more than 900 articles in journals of medicine and psychology about this exact topic. And what's crazy is a recent study done here uh, in the U.S. and Germany found that 4% of the population has had a near-death experience. 4%. So what's crazy is if that number is true and it holds up here in this room, there's potentially 8 to 12 people sitting in here right now that have had a near-death experience. So... These scientists, these doctors, have shown that this is legit. They've done the science, they've gotten reviewed, they've gone through all their paces, and they've done all this stuff that say that this is real. So what do these near-death experiences look like? How do they feel? What's going on? Well, spinal surgeon Dr. Mary Neal had one of these experiences after an accident on a kayaking trip. And we have a video of her explaining exactly what it was like. Take a look. I went over a waterfall that had a tremendous volume 
and a lot of current. And as my boat rocketed down, the front end became stuck or pinned in the rocks underwater. And the boat and I were immediately and completely submerged under about eight or 10 feet of water. Hmm. And I very quickly knew that I was likely going to die. And at that point, I completely surrendered the outcome to God's will. And the moment I asked that God's will be done, I was immediately uh, and very physically held by Christ and reassured that everything would be fine, regardless. How did you know it was Jesus holding you? It's an absolute pure knowledge. It would be as though I saw my husband in the grocery store and I knew it was my husband. I don't have to ask if it's my husband. Mm. I knew that it was Christ holding me and it was a very pure, absolute knowledge. And that was one of the first very profound aspects of this experience for me because I knew that I didn't deserve to be held by Christ. I certainly didn't deserve his love or his reassurance, but that's the beauty of it. None of us actually deserve God's love. So Dr. Neal isn't the only one of the near-death experiencers that saw things like this. In his study across all the cultures and religions, all religions, Dr. Long found a lot of similarities in all these different stories from all these different places, and he compiled some of the, the data, and I want to show it to you. He said 75% had an out-of-body experience. 74% had heightened senses. One of the stories that he had collected was of a woman that was born blind. And when she had this experience, she was able to see, she was able to explain what the doctor was wearing, what he looked like, what she looked like, what she was wearing. Insane. 76% of the people in, uh, reported intense positive emotions or feelings. 64% encountered a mystical or brilliant light. 57% encountered other beings, some of them mystical like angels, some of them deceased relatives or friends, and 52% encountered heavenly realms, something they couldn't explain, something that looked like heaven. And that last one, based off of the numbers that I gave you earlier with 4% of the population, if this holds true, then potentially there are four to six people in this room right now that have seen or experienced heaven. It's nuts. And you know what? These studies, they aren't the first ever recordings of near-death experiences. These actually go back thousands of years. And guess where we can find one? In the Bible. In the book of Acts, the apostle Paul has a near-death experience. He says in Acts 14, then some Jews arrived from Antioch and Iconium and won the crowds to their side. They stoned Paul and dragged him out of town, thinking he was dead. But as the believers gathered around him, he got up and went back into town. The next day, he left with Barnabas for Derby. So here's this crowd throwing a bunch of rocks at the apostle Paul. He's knocked out. I mean, they've done this before. This is something that happened commonly. They understand what a dead guy looks like after getting hit with a bunch of rocks. 
and they drag him out of town and leave him for dead. Well, after he wakes up, years later, he explains exactly what happened to him during that time. So it says in 2 Corinthians, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. So just real quick, uh, the way that they saw things, the first heaven was like our reality, what we can see, feel, touch around us. Uh, The second heaven, there's two schools of thought on it. Uh, The first school is that it's like the cosmos, it's space and the stars and the moon and and all that. Uh, It's also thought to be the spiritual realm that's around us that we can't see. Um, But for sure, everybody's in agreement that the third heaven is paradise, like what we think of when we say the word heaven. So, So that's where we're at. So Paul says, I was caught up to the third heaven 14 years ago. Whether I was in my body or out of my body, I don't know. Only God knows. But I do know that I was caught up to paradise and heard things so astounding that they cannot be expressed in words. Things no human is allowed to tell. Guys, this is the exact same scene that doctors have recorded and put into journals of medicine and psychology. These are the same things that they documented in all these interviews that they did with people. Guys, this is real. Almost 2,000 years ago, a guy that used to persecute Christians was called by Jesus to go and follow him. Years later, he was stoned to death. Gets up after seeing heaven and continues to spread the gospel for the rest of his life. So, If heaven is real, then that means God is real. And if God is real, that means Jesus is real. And if Jesus is real, then that means he really came down from heaven to die on the cross for all of our sins so we can go and experience that heaven in eternity with him. And guys, This is why this is our big idea for today. Here's what I want for you to walk away with. Live your life like heaven is real. Live your life like heaven is real because it is. It is. So what does this mean for you? How does your life change now that you've gotten a little bit of this information? Well, for... Christians, it's, it's fairly simple. For us, God doesn't want us to fear death anymore. I have to keep on telling myself that. God doesn't want me to fear death anymore. He's defeated it already. He wants us to understand that after we leave this world, we'll be in heaven. We'll be in an existence unfathomable to anything we've ever experienced. And that's what we're going to be talking about over the next few weeks We're going to be explaining exactly how awesome it's going to be there in heaven. And when we picked up this book and we decided this has got to be a series, what we wanted to do is we wanted to make sure that this is going to be something that changes the way you live your life completely. And I think it has the potential to do just that. Because we believe that what you do here on earth will affect your eternity. The famous Christian author C.S. Lewis says it like this. If you read history, you'll find that Christians who did the most for the present world 
were just those who thought the most of the next. Aim at heaven, and you'll get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you'll get neither. Now, for some of you guys, you came in here today, and you're not a believer. Or you're on the fence about all this God and Jesus stuff, and that's cool. I get that. We still want you guys to live your life like heaven is real too. Now, I can tell you right now that this path to heaven, it's already been paved for you. And you know what? It's easy. It's easy to walk this path. There aren't a bunch of religious hoops to jump through. There aren't a bunch of things that you have to do. It's one simple decision that you make. All you have to do is accept that Jesus died on the cross for your sins. That's it. And then when, it's, when you're done and you've made that decision, that's all you have to do. His grace is sufficient for the rest of your life, for all of eternity. That's all you need. Like I said, it's simple, guys. The only thing that can keep you from walking down that path, because it's so easy, is your own pride. That's it. So let's bow our heads and pray. So if you're someone who wants to accept Jesus in your life, or you're someone who just feels like you have to, you might not even want to, you have to do it right now, I want you to pray something like this along with me. Lord, I'm not fully sure who you are or how you really work. But there's something in me that just can't deny you anymore. I accept the fact that you orchestrated everything for me to be in this place right now. I accept the fact that you have been slowly wearing me down for so long and I can't keep you at bay anymore. So right now, I want to lay my pride down. Right now, I want to lay down all the anger and the pain created in me by other churches and other Christians. And I want you to know that I believe in you. I believe that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And the best way I know how, I will follow you. So if you're someone that prayed that right now, I want you just to go ahead and look up at me. Because of that decision, because of what you just did right now, you will also get to experience the awesome eternity that heaven is. Thank you for laying down your pride. Thank you for understanding that there's something greater in this world that wants nothing to do but love you for all of time. So if you guys will just bow your heads again and we'll continue to pray for the believers in the room, whether you're seconds old or years old. 
I want you to pray something like this with me. Father, thank you for the gift you have given us of eternal life. Help us live our life like heaven is real. I mean, we always knew it was real, but now that we're starting to get a taste of it, help us go to another level of serving you. We love you and everything you have ever done for us. Thank you. Thank you so much. And it's in your son's name, Jesus Christ, that we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. For more information, visit citychurchdowntown.com.